Shaken Podcast World. Welcome to Shaken and Disturbed. Uh, my name is Darren Carp, Father of God. Father That's of God. right. And this is John Thrasher, Mother of All Creation. Mother of All Creation. John, I want you to know that because we are on YouTube, hello, YouTube. Hi, I've YouTube. Now, and Patreon, of course, I've really like curated. I can't wear the same sweatshirt every day. I know. So, I so know. today, so today, yeah. I'm wearing a Seinfeld-related T-shirt. And for all of you, okay. everyone knows I'm a big Seinfeld fan. Obviously, of I've course. talked about this before. If you've seen Hello. it before. This is this is a T-shirt that says... Darren's flashing us. Del Boca Vista. They don't want us there, so we're going. No, I would not have any clue what that means. It's Del Boca Vista, and it's... Vista. They don't want us there, so we're going. And that's oh, okay. really... That was the emphasis on that. You need the, like, good New York mm-hmm. Jew... Uh, accent okay. in there, John. You have to work on that for next time. But uh, wearing okay, my Del okay. Boca Vista shirt for every, every Seinfeld lover out there. Um, and you are wearing something. You're I'm wearing, wearing a flannel. You're, you are wearing a and flannel, a flannel, as they say. A flannel, a flannel, if you will. And if you were watch or uh, heard me describe it on NMR and Patreon, it's the same outfit because we record these episodes back to back. Insider knowledge for you guys. Let me ask you this, Darren. I, first of all, I had the exact same thought. We're doing video. I got to get my wardrobe uh, together. I gotta, right. I got to do something. Literally an hour before we recorded, I was like, what am I going to wear? So my thought is, you know, all these other podcasts, all these other YouTubers are out here, uh, you know, rocking their uh, Stitch Fix codes, you know. So I'm asking, Stitch I Fix. Used to do, I used to do Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix, can you get hook us up with a code? Okay, I will gladly tell you. By the way, for those who don't know, this is a free ad for Stitch Fix, I guess. They will send you clothes, like what, every week or two, Darren, or something like that? Depends on how you want the algorithm. Like you can get them every week and get them every month. Okay. Whatever, you know. And you can keep the things you like and pay for them or send back the stuff that you don't like. And I thought that would be a good thing to do uh, with weekly YouTube videos so I don't wear the same thing uh, every couple weeks. So anyway, working on that. We'll have to see how that goes. It was a nice service. I remember getting that um, at the office sometimes. And it was always like, oh, I didn't know that I would like this on me, but this works. So nice. uh, There you go. Free ad. But anyway. um, Oh, wait, wait. I'm sorry. uh, up. Before I forget, the other thing was, Darren, Here we go. I like this Seinfeld shirt, but when are you going to wear the Seinfeld shirt I bought you for Christmas? Oh, I would have worn that one today, but it's in the laundry because I wore it two days ago. Oh, oh okay. So, yay. So I'm glad I to hear them. you wear it. I'm going to try and give you guys some Seinfeld gear as much there as possible go. just because, yes. But, yes, I will wear the shirt that you got me because okay. it's one of my favorites. It's just that it's literally in the laundry right now. Otherwise. Okay, good. No, I there. get it. I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time. And I want you guys to know we're so excited. We're, we're you know, getting our shit together. If you haven't yet, just join us on Patreon for early access and live recordings. And then pause that show. Or, you know what? Fuck it. You guys can pause multitask. This show. Yeah, you know, and subscribe. Here's us doing that smash oh, button Darren's thing. Doing that. Smash button, uh, subscribe. Uh, every single subscriber really helps us reach yes. our goal. We would like to hit certain goals by certain periods of point. Just it helps visibility. And it's really hard to get seen on YouTube. So we would like that. Any That's just right. just a little button. Your mom, your grandmother, your children, your pets. Oh. Magic. Magic would be nice. Yeah. Thank you. If you had nice a YouTube he, account, I'd make be sure. Be nice if he yeah. su- su- supported us. But. 
doesn't. I so. feel like magic needs a YouTube, a YouTube channel. Darren, thank you for that plug, by the way. That was great. And I hope all the listeners that are listening at the moment have subscribed. Uh, we'll do, we'll do some shout outs at the end of the episode. Speaking of magic and siblings and mothers. Uh, oh, I have loaded into our soundboard. Yes. The Zooey's notes segment. Yes. Hopefully you right. can hear it. I'm going to press it. Let me know if you hear it. And here are Zoe's notes. Oh, yes. That works there we so go. well. Yeah, that works so well. Give All me right. one more. Give me one more. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. And here are Zoe's notes. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. So moving forward, Zoe, I know you're listening. I know you listen every Sunday. Oh. She makes sure it comes out at 8 a.m. I'll never oh. forget. I was in a, a grocery store parking lot and you're like, my mom told me that the show didn't go up yet today. And I'm like, and, what? Yeah. And, and I, I was like, you turn it. your ass, you turn your ass around. Stop hitting on guys in the grocery store, John. <laughs> that wasn't that time. Yeah. But I know. Zoe, if you're listening and you have notes for us, you now have your own segment and sound effect button on my board. And we will move forward with uh, any notes that you may have. She is actually the executive producer of the show. She's the EP. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Megan's our researcher and then my mom's the EP. So <laughs> yeah, thank exactly. you for loading that into our, um, yeah. our soundboard, John. I really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So up top, uh, I really wanted to get to something that a, a listener actually DM'd me about and told us, asked us to talk about it. I DM'd John immediately so we could talk about it. So uh, before we get into today's episode, there's some big true crime news that we have to comment on. NBC News reported on February 21st, 2024, that a settlement had finally been reached between the families of Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. And Gabby, of course, was the young woman who went missing a few years ago while Brian Laundrie disappeared and was later found dead via suicide. In notes found with his body, he confessed to killing Gabby, according to the FBI. Now, for those who don't remember, Darren and I actually worked on a special for Investigation Discovery a few years ago. Darren, you were on camera, and I was one of the producers in the background for the production company. So That's right. very familiar. Yeah, yeah. Now, according to AB, sorry, according to NBC News, Petito's parents sued Laundry's parents and their lawyer, Stephen Bertolino, for intentional and reckless infliction of emotional distress. The Petitos alleged in the suit that Laundry's parents and the lawyer knew Petito was dead, but lied to them and the public by issuing messages of hope that she'd be found. Bertolino did not immediately respond to a request for, request for comment to NBC News on Wednesday night. He did tell NBC affiliate WFLA of Tampa that the civil suit has been settled. Quote, Christopher and Roberta Laundrie and I participated in mediation with the Petito family and the civil lawsuit has now been resolved. End quote. Uh, that's what Bertolini said uh, in, his, in a statement to the station. Now, quote, the terms of the re resolution are confidential and we look forward to putting this matter behind us. End quote. And. Yeah, and a wrongful, by the way, a wrongful death lawsuit was previously settled and a judge awarded the Petito family $3 million in 2022. So, Darren, this was such an interesting update. This was all reported by NBC News. By the way, you can go find this information anywhere at this point. It's pretty big true crime news. I guess what are, what's our takeaway here before we get into this week's episode? Because is justice served in this scenario? Does the fan did the family actually know they aren't guilty? of of anything they were not charged with anything but i don't know what are your main takeaways about this scenario you know this one's kind of tough because i think as it was going down and even before we kind of really could conclusively decide what had happened here meaning 
you know, obviously they went missing. We couldn't find anyone. And I think most people had reasonably assumed at that point due to the video surfacing of them kind of on the way that Brian had some issues with his anger, took it out on Gabby. They were sort of in an abusive relationship. Um, right. That there were a lot of warning signs that people ignored. What Brian's family knew about him is unclear as far as I'm concerned. We don't know the, just like we right. don't know what Gabby's family really thought about what was going on through Gabby's head or what was going on in Brian's head. But I sort of, I'm torn here because I think, I think anything I'm going to say is obviously speculation, right? So let me just say that right now, this is all speculation. Do I think that Brian's parents knew more than they let on to the public? Probably. Probably. I, I, given I think, the timing, I would agree with that. Given the timing, given the fact that how it all happened, him eventually killing himself, um, admitting to killing Gabby, uh, not really willing to face his own music with this, uh, but also kind of in touch with his parents at the same time. I'm sure they knew something. Um, I'm sure they knew something that they didn't want the other people to know. However, but I sort of understand that. And I sort of empathize with that. And I kind of ask myself if I had kids, I would do anything to protect them. You know, I, I really would. And, and maybe the right thing is put the, make them go forward and make them go to the cops and face the music and do all that stuff. But I really understand that, that, protective parent thing of being like, I'm going to protect you no matter what I'm going to fucking make sure that yeah. no one can take you away from me. So now that they're both passed away, what is justice? Yeah, I know. I, I hear, I totally hear what you're saying. And I was thinking as you're saying that, that so many of our listeners are also parents. So I'm very curious what you guys listening would think about this scenario. And given the information that we do have, how would you act in a situation where your child was sort of on the run at least um, you know, it's interesting. Well, let us know what you guys think about this news. I know we covered this and obviously Darren was, um, was on, uh, on TV and I was, I helped her get on, I didn't help you get on TV, but I helped you with that but special you, in a sense. If you remember, I was the only one at that time. And this was before we found out that Brian had killed himself and before we, he admitted to killing her. Although again, reasonable set of assumptions that assume that he did that. Uh, I was the only one on that whole special to say that, hey, guys, he's uh, still innocent by by uh, law and he hasn't been brought mm -hmm. to court and we shouldn't be talking about him like that, uh, which surprised me because I'm not a lawyer and I, <laughs> right. I, I'm not trained in this. I just have an yeah. opinion of like a, a citizen of how I would want to be treated. So that kind of surprised me, too, of just how quickly people were so ready to just jump the gun on this. And I think even if that's right. What's waiting till you have all the facts, you know, yeah, wait totally. till you have all the facts to make the correct assumption. Because if you're wrong, the damage that you are going to cause someone is going right, to be right. fucking horrible. Yeah, I just wanted to get that talking about up top. Yeah, that's great. And thank you to the listener who sent that to us, who I think I have in a note somewhere and I'll try to find it before the end of the episode. Um well, let's move into the actual episode of today's, uh, the actual case for today's episode. Uh, this one's an interesting one. And Darren, why don't you kick us off and I can help yes. us find who was the lovely person. That's what that I was trying us. to do. Yeah, you, okay, you look it you up go. and I. I'll but, look it uh, up for us. You look it up as I take this case. <laughs> In 1928, right. William and Laura Cook of Joplin, Missouri. Joplin, Missouri. Mizzou. Joplin. Uh, welcomed a new baby into the world and named him William after his father. The new baby, Billy, suffered from a slight birth defect that caused one of his eyelids to droop. 
And William Sr. worked as a coal miner while his wife cared for their many children. Some accounts, granted, this is over 100, about 100 years ago. Some accounts say she had seven kids, but we found stories that say she had as many as 10. Either way, this is, this is a big family. A bit, it's a big yeah. family. You know, this is a big family. Yeah. When, when even if seven or t- 10 kids, it's like, what's another one? You know what I mean? Just, it's a big <laughs> fucking family. Well, they, it sounds oh. like they lost count, which is, which is tough. Which just goes to show, right? You got more than yeah. two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. when Billy was five years old, his mother passed away suddenly. Her cause of death was later ruled to be a brain bleed that occurred about an hour before her body was discovered. Wow. wow. Um, and I, I just got to, I feel like that's hard to just catch. That feels yeah. like something that unfortunately just happens. Now, there's no public account of what may have caused the brain injury that killed her. But after Laura passed away, William Sr., who was known to be an alcoholic, moved his entire family to an old abandoned mine shaft. I mean, is this not the most 1928 thing you've ever heard? I mean, an old but abandoned mine But it's also like the shaft. start of like a scary movie in a lot of ways. Now, <laughs> it is, yeah. Unfortunately and eventually, William Sr. simply just stopped returning home to his children, who were taken in by the state, of course. Uh, oh, okay. They had no caregiver at all. Most of the siblings were placed into foster homes, but Billy's droopy eyelid seemed to make prospective parents a little uncomfortable. I mean, this is one of those things where when you're having a kid naturally, you know, you, you just you just hope the kid's healthy, but you're going to love it anyway. Right. Adopting is a little bit like picking out what you want. You know, it's a little bit Bad more shopping around. And so I think any type of defect is going to probably work against you. Sometimes maybe it works for you, but I imagine that this is probably an all too common thing with adoption. Now, no yeah. families agreed to take him in until the state offered to pay for his living expenses. The family that eventually, I don't know why a droopy eyelid would matter so much with this, but maybe just because it's like visually hard. Hard I don't to know say, what but yeah, I would imagine it's that. Yeah. I mean, to your does, point, it's like if you have a visual defect, as sad as that is, it's going to deter Right, people. but it doesn't feel like a disability in the same way that like having one right. arm would be or one leg, <laughs> right. you know, it's like, okay, maybe glasses, but it doesn't really. Anyway, now the family that eventually <laughs> took him in was more interested in profiting off the state than in actually providing the young boy a good quality of life. And for two Christmases in a row, Billy only got one gift. Billy's only gift was a bicycle. Uh, and it was almost immediately repossessed by the seller oh. because the family refused to pay it off. I so didn't even know you could like, repossess a bicycle. <laughs> well, I mean, you can repossess anything, I guess, if you're not willing to pay the down payment on something. Yeah. Now, yeah. Unsurpri- again, this is a long time ago, so right, it was right. a big family, you know. Now, un- uh, unsurprisingly, Billy became more and more misbehaved as he grew up until of- he was eventually arrested for theft. Yeah, so tough start to his life here, unfortunately, for Billy. By the way, Darren, um, I did look up our DMs between you and I, and you did not let me know who sent it. So you're going to have to do that research while I take on the I'm next gonna... segment here. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Well, in court after his uh, arrest, he informed the judge that he would prefer being sent to a reform school rather than return to his foster family. I mean, that's a really great indication that life at home you know is not what he expected it's not what he wanted there's probably a lot more going on under that under that roof than we even know frankly so you know when you're getting arrested and your options are to go home and you don't want to go home big huge red flag there big huge red flag also it's nicole tacy and i really appreciate you nicole for sending it to us thank you nicole thank you nicole great great observation and thank you for letting us know 
Well, he was sent to a reformer, uh, reformatory for several months, and almost as soon as he was released, Billy reoffended in an even bigger way by stealing $11 from a cab driver, which back in those mm. days, we love an inflation calculator where I have to figure out what $11 in I'm whatever year it. this was. Okay. 1928. <laughs> Well, that was when, let's see, do we have any other updates? Yeah, 1928, they welcomed the new baby, William. So let's say he's 16. Okay, you're going to have to do the math. I cannot do math on the spot in the show. But nonetheless, uh, this landed him back in the reformatory for a five-year sentence. However, Billy didn't seem to fare any better inside the reformatory. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time saying that. Where, of course, he would routinely fight the other boys. So very aggressive in nature, et cetera. $11 in 1928 is the equivalent to about $195 today. Oh, that's pretty, that's, that's a theft. Oh, so not Ooh. a, not a, you know, not a break the bank type of thing, but certainly that's stealing. I mean, that's yeah, not a cup of coffee. Of course. Yeah. yeah, especially back then. Even well, if the it reform- was a cup of coffee, it's still stealing. So I don't want to get. That's right. And don't, and by the way, don't try to steal my cup of coffee. No, I mean, no, sweetie, I don't want functional. that blueberry, hazelnut, <laughs> cotton candy, candy God. corn thing. I'm good. I'm never. God. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. God. Cotton that was candy, you. candy corn. <laughs> Ugh, I would never do that. I love cotton candy, but not candy corn. I'm never going to live that Dunkin' Donuts thing down, am I? That's no, just sweetie, how it's No, you be. ruined everything for oh. me. I can never oh. see you the same way. Oh. You might as well commit a crime. You might as well murder someone because I already feel that way about you. Oh. Anything else you want to get off your chest? or? Uh, I'll wait to the middle of the episode when you're in the middle of a sentence to interrupt you even more. How about that? Great. Cool. 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 Uh, uh, here we go. I'll same page. Going. Yeah, same page. Uh, yeah, <laughs> same page. The reform school, uh, as you might expect, was unable to handle his violent behavior and decided to transfer Billy to a state prison where he continued to get in trouble, at one point nearly killing another prisoner when he beat him with a baseball bat when he made fun of Billy's droopy eyelid. This droopy eyelid is just continuing to wreak havoc on his life. Kids are cruel. I imagine all the, you know. It's true. It's just, yeah, it's hard. Well, in 1950, 22-year-old Billy was released from prison. Now he sported a set of knuckle tattoos that spelled out the word hard luck. Darren, of course, you have the same tattoos on your knuckles, as we can see on the YouTube video. That's right. That's right. He'd also cultivated the nickname Cockeyed Cook. Mm. Okay. Billy made a quick stop in his hometown of Joplin to visit with his father, who was now a full-blown alcoholic. Now... I'm not sure if this is the adopted father or his original biological father, but whoever it is. But as mentioned, after not seeing his father in over 10 years, Billy told him that his life's ambition was now to, quote, live by the gun and roam, end quote. That's not good. Billy decided to keep traveling west, stopping briefly in El Paso, where he purchased a 32 caliber pistol and again in California before roaming back east to lubbock texas so he's loading up on weapons he's fresh out of prison he's got hard luck on his side and on his hands and we can probably guess where this show where this episode's going to go next right well on december i think we can on december 29th the police received a call from a man named lee archer who edit had an extremely strange story to share now, the previous day, Lee picked up a young male hitchhiker on Route 66. The two drove, I feel like Route 66 is like the most quintessential 
route. Hello, it's jeans. Isn't it jeans? Route 66 jeans. Let me look it up. Is it? There was a, there was a jeans company. Give me a second. Okay. Yeah. Route 66 jeans. Yeah. Thank you. Is that a now thing? Hold on. (laughs) I want to say it was a nineties thing. I feel like it was, yeah, I'm seeing links on kmart.com. Okay, you know ah, what I'm saying? Route 66. Yeah, okay. okay, Route 66. All right. All right. I just feel like if work. people are going to, if you're going to think of an image of like the route, route, route sign, it's route, 66. Yep. I don't know. Absolutely. Um, That's the, probably why they decided to make a gene company because it's recognizable. Exactly. Who thought we would go down this route? Who knew? Who knew? But so the two drove through the night together. And the next day, which is now on the 29th, the hitchhiker yes. overpowered Lee and forced him into the trunk of his own car. Lee's car was a manual transmission. And from what Lee could tell inside the trunk, the hitchhiker didn't know how to drive stick. And let me tell you, as someone who can drive stick, watching someone. At, I, I learned to drive on a stick. Watching oh someone God. attempt to drive stick. You know fully well who can and cannot. Like when I'm watching The Amazing Race and they're always in Europe, which are mostly stick shifts, this is the downfall of downfalls for people in The Amazing Race, right? They just, they don't know how to do it. And like, it's a skill that you truly should learn. I want to give a shout out to my grandfather who, when I was like 15 years old, would take me down to an industrial park near my house where there were no cars and it was just giant empty lots on a Saturday or Sunday and tried to teach me how to drive a stick shift old Nissan truck from literally 1985. And all I can remember, this is for everyone on YouTube, here is me driving a stick shift. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. You didn't know how to like settle that clutch, turn the gears, or just like oh, I was, I was, I was being thrashed upon the window. False starts, yeah, for sure. I did that when I start learning. Yep, yep. I was false starting. My grandfather was screaming at the top of his lungs at me. It was very traumatic experience. It's always very helpful. Yes, exactly. Very helpful for learning. Nothing helps a person learn by just screaming at them to get it the fuck right. Yeah, no, well, it's kind of like one last thing here. If if you kind of like, you know, when you make a protein shake and you put like your, um, you know, you're like, you're so whatever milk you want to put in there and then you put and then you shake it up really bad. That was me. Like I was the protein inside of the of the of the oh, yeah. of the truck, you know? Oh, yeah. Your hair is really feeling yeah. it now. Too. Yeah. Let me just get my hair in a good position. Well, so he could keep, tell the, that this- keep it going. Yes. He could tell this guy was John Thrasher. I just did not know how to drive this <laughs> fucking thing. So exactly, the, young, yes. the young man got the car stuck in a ditch and hitched another ride with another car. Lee was apparently a, able to escape the trunk, at least eventually, and called the police. Now, by this time, his would-be robber was long. I don't even know how you escape a trunk. Like, I don't. I don't know how that works. Especially but, back then. I don't think they had, like, emergency releases, but okay. I, I, yeah, do they have that now? Like, if you're stuck in a trunk, do they I have I think an most emergency? of them do, yeah. I think they do for that okay, exact well, that's reason. That's good to know. Okay, that's good to know. You kind of have because to like, people know get where stuck it is, in it. though. I guess. Well, anyway, by this up. time, his would-be robber was long gone. Long gone. However, it turned out he had forgotten to take his bag out of Lee's abandoned car before he hitched his next ride. Lee searched the bag and were quickly able to determine that it belonged to an inmate who was recently freed from a Missouri prison. From there, they obtained a description of the inmate from prison. He was five foot six, roughly 145 pounds, with a droopy right eyelid and tattoos. Again, now they, Darren. Yeah, yeah. That's basically me. Although they had a a uh, although they had a great description of the man, 
they really didn't have much of a way to kind of track him down. So five days later, on January 3rd, 1951, a blue Chevy sedan was found abandoned in a ditch three miles outside Tulsa. The inside of the car appeared to be spattered with blood. Oklahoma Oklahoma police learned that the vehicle belonged to 33-year-old Carl Moser, who was traveling for the holidays. Now, Carl was accompanied by his wife, Thelma, and their three young children, seven-year-old Dean, five-year-old Carl Jr., and three-year-old Pamela. The family had been due to arrive at their relatives several days prior, but hadn't showed up or contacted their relatives. And when police learned that the whole family was missing, they began a gigantic manhunt. Yeah, so... Thing, you know, by the way, this is also I just feel like this stuff never really happened, you know, in this time frame in American history. I mean, it, of course it did. But I just right. feel like the the nationwide manhunts in cars from the 1950s just wasn't as possible, frankly, as it as it is now. But I don't know, just something to think about. But over 2000 detectives and officers joined in on the search as well as thousands more people from the community public sector workers and private citizens all wanted to help find this family in fact the search for the moser family became the largest manhunt in history up to this point as the search progressed police tried to piece together what happened to the family prior to their disappearance the story they were able to reconstruct was truly horrifying it appeared as though the car that slowed down to pick up the hitchhiker who attacked Lee was the one driven by Carl Moser. Now, the hitchhiker was able to overpower Carl and take control of his car, which he drove for roughly 2,500 miles through Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas. This is Damn. what I'm saying. Like, 2,500 miles on cars back then? Like, I'm not a, I'm a car guy in the sense of, like, I like cars and I know enough about them to tell you that. 2,500 miles, especially in a short amount of time, is it, kind of unheard of at that time. Well, even if you, you were know? going 60 miles an hour the entire time, it would still right. take you like a day right. and a half, a little over a day and a half. And I don't even think cars could probably go at 60 miles an hour back then, or at least not consistently. <laughs> so yeah, that's I a good point. Tr- yeah. I can truly only imagine how long this fucking thing took. We'll have to look up the 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 facts around maximum speed availability for cars. I think they could go above 60, but Darren, look that up while I get through this part here. But nonetheless, police believe that the family tried to escape when their captor stopped for gas at a, at a gas station in Wichita Falls, Texas. But the hitchhiker began brawling with Carl inside the station store, trying to force him to return to the car. The ga- Go ahead. I think you have an update. Well, it says, and there's, you know, there is like a car, like the Buick Century, which was in the 50s, could reach 100 miles an hour, but not like consistently, but that was in the 50s. So that's like, okay, that's around this time. But if we're talking about the start of the case in the 20s, when this was happening, cars could really only go 35 to 40 miles per hour. Otherwise, it was dangerous for people in the vehicle. So I think at this point, because we're spanning about 30 years, it's increasing. But again, it's not what it is yeah. today, which like Tesla's can go to zero to 60 in about three seconds. So that's, Oh, look at you dropping the Tesla facts out here. Um, you know, big Tesla uh, man. Yeah. They are dangerous in the twenties going 35 miles per hour. Not unlike me in a stick shift Nissan truck. So just putting that out there. Well, the gas station attendant was an elderly man who became extremely frightened when the fight broke out as just as a quick reminder here, they're now fighting at this gas station the attendant pulled out his own gun and demanded that the two men leave his store. He's like, I don't need all this riffraff up in my store. Get your shit out of here. Get 
Get your um, shit out of here. Yeah. Carl begged the attendant for help, insisting, quote, he's been in my car all day. He's got a gun and says he'll kill us, end quote. Which this type of, I hate these types of details. Like, these moments where outsiders could potentially intervene, but they're only trying to save themselves. You know, I feel like this happens a lot. Or I've heard a lot of stories about, like, New Yorkers, you know, like, seeing things happening, but just, like, going along their day. Because they don't want to get involved in any kind of thing that could risk their own lives. Well, that's the thing about like New Yorkers, I think in particular, it's like, we're too cool. Like I, I do think New Yorkers will help anybody out. Obviously if they saw a crime kind of happening, but for the most part, when I see like a Spider-Man shooting his web in the subway, I mostly just put my head down and keep mine. Yeah. Well, that's a whole you know different I mean? thing. Yes. I, I try not to, uh, to mess around with that. You try not to engage. That's fair. Yes. Shout out to Tom Holland, Spider-Man, who is one of my faves. Well, anyway, still aiming his gun at the men, the attendant demanded that the attacker let go of Carl. The attacker then pulled out his own gun, pointed it at the family, forced them back in the car, got into the driver's seat, and drove away. Now, the gas station attendant got into his own truck and followed the blue sedan until the driver started shooting at him, at which point he turned around and called police. This gas station it's attendant. It's like a Western. Yeah. 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 This is. Yeah. This is fucking. This is badassery. Now, by the time Texas police heard of the incident, the car had already crossed state lines. The car then traveled to Mexico, back to Texas, then Arkansas, and eventually to Billy's hometown of Joplin, Missouri. Now, police believe that when the car finally stopped at the mine shaft, the family's captor persuaded them to agree to being tied up, perhaps with promises that they would be ejected from the car and left unharmed. Yeah. Okay. The captor tore pieces of their clothing into strips, which he used to bind their wrists and gag them. When everyone mm. was tied up, the attacker sh- the attacker shot each family member one by one, stopping once to reload his gun uh, before all five were dead. This is terrible. The killer then, I don't know why you ripped the clothes. Then just shoot them. I, right, I don't, like. I don't. I, uh, it just seems like kind maybe of, he yeah, realized eventually. Yeah. Seems like unnecessary steps. The killer then started the car back up continue driving with the bodies of the victims still in the car (sighs) with them, five of them. And on January 2nd, just before three in the morning, the blue sedan pulled up at an abandoned mine shaft in Joplin and the killer dropped the bodies of each of his five victims down into it. He then drove back to Tulsa where he abandoned the blue sedan by the side of the road and hitched another ride West. And that's kind of where we picked up in the story. He used the sheriff's patrol car to pull over another car kill the driver, 32-year-old Robert Dewey, and steal it in order to flee the country and head to Mexico. There, he kidnapped another two men, gold perspe- gold prospectors named Forrest Dameron and James Burke. He Like, why not just go to Mexico and just live your life now? And get out of here and why let everyone are we, be. Right, yeah. like, why are we kidnapping people? I just, like, why are we making your life more difficult? Right. Anyway, he spent the week driving around the two uh, prospect, the two prospectors in his car, sometimes crossing back over the U.S. border into California, then back down into Mexico several times during the trip. What would his Apple Watch location say <laughs> on this? You know, what's Spy the GeoTracker app? Right, like, what's that say? The two prospectors spent the entire week trapped in the car, terrified, oh but unable to escape. Although thousands of people were actively hunting for the kidnapper, including the FBI by this point, law enforcement uh, always seemed to be just a few steps behind him. 
And by the time reports were made of a new crime he'd committed, he'd already fled the scene and was often already across state or U.S. borderlines. Just wow. nuts. They finally caught a break on January 15th when Mexican police recognized the man on the wanted posters due largely to his distinctive droopy eyelid. Well, they finally tracked him well, down and arrested him at a Mexican cafe and learned his name, Billy Cook. That's right. Uh, and this is where the cockeyed cook name comes from. Correct. The same day, police finally found the bodies of the Moser family. Joplin had gotten a lot of rain, which flooded the town's many abandoned mine shafts. Tragically, the bodies of the five Mosers floated to the top of the shaft where they'd been dumped and police were able to retrieve their buried bodies and finish piecing together what went on during Billy's killing spree. I mean, that is like, ugh. you know, I always think about I've never I never looked at the reservoir in Central Park the same way after I learned that every spring when the when things start to heat up and the ice starts to thaw bodies that were dumped there over the winter float to the top I, I i mean by the way this isn't exclusive to the central park reservoir anywhere that this type of seasonal thing happens um it occurs but it's like they float to it's the just top. a yeah because like they get dumped and they like i guess sink to the bottom at first because of whatever you know the drowning or, or whatever the filling of the body and then in the spring once everything warms up, the like bacteria and the gas that is created in a dead body will will bring it to the top. And it's something that happens wow. in, yeah, like in climates like ours where and frankly, places like New York where there is a lot of crime. Now, this that's, by the way, anecdotal. Maybe that happened years ago uh, from time to time. I don't think the same amount of crime is happening, frankly, in New York City as it used to. But I remember hearing about that at least once, and I always looked at the reservoir in the middle of Central Park very differently moving Well, forward. that's going to, you know. Yeah, and it's tragic to hear about these five bodies that kind of floated up from that mine shaft because of a flood of all things. It's just terrible. Yeah. Well, anyway, Billy was extradited back to Oklahoma, where kidnapping was a capital offense, and since the case of the kidnapped Lind uh, oh, and since the case of the kidnapped Lindbergh baby back in 1932 was almost always punished by execution. Billy let the prison guards know that he expected this to be his fate as well. And the cockeyed cook was given a bench trial, meaning he was tried by a judge, but no jury. Now, this is relatively uncommon, but legal. Megan tells Definitely. us, by the way, who's yeah. a very good researcher and has her own experiences uh, with uh, legal backgrounds. The Oklahoma judge sentenced him to 300 years in prison. Of course, he'd never be free again, but would also be able to keep his life. This was an extremely controversial decision at the time in the conservative state, and a large portion of the public was outspokenly upset by this ruling. People wanted him to, you know, yeah, get the death penalty for all of these, all of this death and destruction. The day that the verdict was announced, the U.S. US Department of Justice had an announcement of their own. Billy would now be extradited to California to be tried for his mm. crimes in that state as well. Well, because he now, hit every single fucking state. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He was on a tear uh, in that old in that old car, you know, going 30 miles per hour or whatever. Anyway, California had an airtight murder case against Billy. He'd used a deputy car to pull over Robert Dewey and execute him. Now, this trial began in November of 1951, and it took a jury less than an hour, which I think is maybe the quickest time I've ever re reported here on our show or Martinis and Murder. 
I've never heard of a jury deliberating for less than an hour uh, to find Billy guilty of murder. And this time he did receive the death sentence that he had been expecting. Although he tried to appeal his sentence numerous times, all were denied. And on December 12th, 1952, Billy took his last breaths inside a gas chamber of all things in San Quentin prison. Following his death, his body was put on display to the public where over 15,000 people came to see him. This is crazy. I don't know how I'd never heard about this. Billy was then buried in the middle of the night by his family in a cemetery in his hometown. Now, this was one of those cases, Darren, where I was like, you know, I had heard his name. I actually had heard of the cockeyed cook. I always thought it was cockeyed crook, and I just maybe misheard it. But um, yeah. But yeah, it's a really disturbing case. And I just think about that mine shaft with those bodies. And it's just, uh, it's just all types of uncomfortable. I guess I wonder why, though, because, you know, I guess for the first one, he got 300 years and no, like, so this death was sentence. the U.S. Department of Justice that had given him death, which is why the gas changer chamber. But the, the state judge, the Oklahoma judge, did not. Right. And gave him right. 300 years. Now, obviously, the U.S. Department of Justice is going to override any state thing. So I guess that's why he got the cheese. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough one. Wow. Well, let us know what you guys right think. Now. Weird. Yeah, let us know what you guys think at Carpe Darren at Jay Thrasher. Uh, you can hit us up on Patreon. You can comment on this on YouTube if you're watching yeah. on YouTube. Let us know in the comments below. Yeah, we're doing that now here on YouTube. Smash that subscribe and let us know in the comments. <laughs> subscribe, comments, subscribe. There you go. Comments. Yes. Well, uh, again, thanks to some of you who have shared your picture and who have subscribed to our channel. Yeah, Darren, I want to shout some them new out. Subs. New yeah. subsies. Um, shout out to the tuna sub. Uh, six, here are the six inches for this there you week. Go. The foot, here are the oh, footlongs. Oh. Uh, sorry, John, you're oh. six inches. These people are footlongs. Uh, Hetty51, okay. okay. thank you so much. We've got Douglas, our longtime friend of the show, Philip, Jennifer B, Annabelle J, Nikki P, Nikki B. And once again, please go and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to be shouted out on our next episode. We thank you every single week. Thank you so much for hitting subscribe and smashing that button. It's youtube.com <laughs> slash at shaken and disturbed you have to put that at sign in there for that to work so just search for it or click the link in this week's show next we make it super easy for you there you go i wanted to give one other listener shout out my friend mike cruz mike is my mm. new fitness coach okay oh and he is open to helping anyone he uh wrote me out this huge weekly plan that i've been following uh to to what degree of success is not for anyone you know is neither here nor there takes time sweetie takes time yeah it does take time but he's so passionate about fitness and i had to give him a shout out he's a great guy and you guys can check him out on tiktok uh he does live uh tiktok lives and he's on instagram so check him out at coach m cruz that's c-o-a-c-h-m-c-r-u-z so thank you mike for your help i really appreciate it just so I know, he's a coach. Is he a trainer? Like, would he be with you yeah. in the gym? Or he tells you, I it's, need you to do 50 sit-ups three times a week. Here's the plan. That's that exactly normal? it. Yes, he is virtual. Okay. He's not here in Pittsburgh with me. He, I think he's based out of New York. Um, but he can do everything remotely for you in terms of, like, uh, like writing out a plan. His plan was super robust. You just give him the information and the goals that you want to hit, and he will write it out for you within a couple days. It's very robust. He's really passionate about it. Let me just say this. I'll just go one step further. 
you know, I'm on TikTok a lot. I'm on Instagram a lot. I see a lot of these fitness bros come on and they're, they're swole and they're, they're gigantic and they're, they're bodybuilders and there's nothing wrong with that. But Mike is just, Mike really kind of, uh, is a different type of guy. Like he, he's, a, he used to be like a high school, like football and baseball coach or something. So he's really passionate about getting the results and just helping people in a way that doesn't seem as gimmicky. And it's just been a really great partnership and he seems like a really I nice guy. So I wanted to give him a shout out. Yeah. And you guys should know that we're going to be giving John Thrasher weekly weigh-ins on this YouTube podcast. <laughs> oh my God. So every week we're going to Listen, have him weigh in and weigh out the podcast. How about a flex? I'll, I'll do some flexing. Yeah. Give me a, give me a couple weeks and I'll start flexing. Darren's got some nice guns. Look out now. Some nice, you know, come on now. Yeah. Come on. yeah. No. Oh, oh, okay. Um, well, speaking of that Wayne perk that we're going to be giving John, which is a little abusive. <laughs> That's right. Patreon. We have brand new Patreon perks. If you sign up for the radish or sussy radish tier, you can join us live every single week. And during our recording to weigh in on the case, talk with other listeners, participate in polls. And essentially just be another co-host of the show. Any tier means the world to us. So check it out on patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed or click the link in our show notes. John? That's right. Those live recordings are coming soon. I'm working on the technical part of that, which is a little complicated with YouTube, quite frankly. Uh, I know. We have to make sure that you guys can like hear us and hear yourself. So it's a little bit of a... A roadblock, but we're getting to it. We're not going to promise it without giving it. So just FYI, absolutely, there. it's coming. Just give us like another week or two, and we'll be we'll be announcing far in advance, so those of you guys uh, who want to join us on those lives can join in. And are you keeping your weekly sign up, John? I'm going to go back to the one. Yes, I'm going to keep it. But if you remember the the fun part about checking your mushrooms was that I misspoke and I said, yes. make sure you chook your mushrooms. So there you go. I'm I'm chuking as we speak, and on my end, <laughs> check your pits, especially if you have a penis. We're going to be doing weekly uh, John Wayans every single week, people. No, He's we're got not. a penis. We're not. We're it's either checking your well, pits or checking your weight. John, well, this is the podcast. Sacrifice for it now. Come on now. The way this show ends is so uncomfortable for me. We'll see John you guys and I are next doing time. Weekly arm wrestling. All right, bye, guys. Nah, Love you. You win that. You'll win that. Okay, see you guys. Bye. <laughs>